This is episode number four of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. In this episode I speak with Emma Meller who is a happiness club trainer and teaches about emotional resilience. Before we go into this episode I wanted to read out Emma's bio because I reference it quite a lot in the um, in our interview really. So here it is. Who am I? I am a mum to five crazy children I lovingly refer to as the raucous rabble. Gym lover with a bit of a wicked sense of humour. Some time ago, I chose to take charge of my life and leave my depression and anxiety behind. My first step was leaving a controlling relationship. It took a lot of work to find my happiness again. Then I met Jo Howarth and her story resonated with me. I felt we were a little kindred in our own spirits. When Jo first advertised for the Happiness Club trainers, I felt that this was my chance to help people who, like me, had become stuck in a rut and needed tools to maintain great mental health. I also saw it was an ideal opportunity to give children the opportunity to learn resilience too. Being a mum and remembering my own miserable childhood, I wanted to help the youth of today learn some skills to become emotionally intelligent and resilient human beings. I love helping people discover the happiness within. Life is wonderful when you realise all you need for true happiness is yourself and a few simple tools you can use anywhere, anytime. So that's what I do. I use the tools Joe taught me to run workshops for adults and children to learn emotional resilience. Also, before we start, I wanted to say a big thank you to Emma for agreeing to be interviewed and also to mention that Joe Howarth, who runs the Happiness Club, is a topic sponsor for Abuse Talk. You can find out more about what Joe Howarth does and the amazing work that she basically gives out to the world at www.thehappinessclub.co.uk. Hi everyone, um, welcome to the next episode of the Abuse Talk interviews and I'm really delighted today to have Emma Meller with me. Hi Emma, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> I'm so delighted to have you on because we actually have a mutual connection in Joanne Howarth and for those of you who don't know, Joanne Howarth um, runs the Happiness Club and she is actually one of the sponsors of Abuse Talks. So I'm really delighted to have somebody representing Joe <laughs> in Emma and um, I won't go into too much about what you do Emma because that's really what I want you to do. I want you to first of all tell us a bit about you and what you do. <laughs> okay well first and foremost I'm a mum of five that seems to be the thing that takes up most of my time um, but what 
I do in terms of work is I work um, I trained with Jo to become one of her happiness club trainers so we go into businesses companies and teach their staff about emotional resilience uh, resilience at work stress management and we also go into schools and give children the skills for learning emotional resilience and emotional intelligence as well so it sounds like a bit of a responsibility really it sounds like quite a big job <laughs> yes it is um, it's something that is close to my heart you know I've um, I've had issues with anxiety and depression in the past um, I left an abusive relationship myself and my children needed help to help to build their own emotional resilience um, so when Joe was advertising for happiness club trainers and I saw what was involved in the training I thought it was a great way to help myself and my children but also to go out there and help so many other people who need the help as well. That's great and obviously you're, the main theme of it from what I've seen is the emotional resilience. So can you actually explain what emotional resilience is? Because <laughs> I know we use the terminology all the time and everything but when you pull it apart it's like what does it mean? <laughs> Well, resilience is described as your bounce back ability. So the more, more resilient you are, the quicker and easier you find it to bounce back from stressful situations. Obviously, we all go through periods of stress in our life and some of us, it lasts us a lifetime and others, you know, we're, we're able to overcome it and, and bounce back from it much more quickly. So I guess um, in with what you do, you would be able to work on that bounce back ability then and sort of to maybe somebody that's struggling to get to that point of maybe turning over a new leaf or moving forward with their life kind of thing yeah we give people the tools to learn to do it for themselves to be able to when they're in a time of, of stress or anxiety they we give them the tools to be able to sit there and and think okay what's going on here what can i do to bring myself back to the present to to escape this this current situation that i'm in right so how would you start to do that so say if i am um, i needed you know some support with something or people that are watching this right now or listening how would someone start to become more emotional resilient well, my own journey. I started. <laughs> I started um, with counselling because that's a, that's something that gets thrown at you all the time, isn't it? And um, I was lucky that I met Jo and became a happiness club trainer because she gave me all the tools that I need to be able to do that. So it started off with practicing mindfulness, being mm. in the present, not worrying about the future or holding on to what was in the past, and then meditation. Um, just being able to meditate and um, focus on what's going on in the mind, clear any blocks. Um, I've had hypnosis as well. It's all something right. I find hugely beneficial um, for overcoming all of the issues that I had. No, that's great. I think I think it's also recognizing that 
you need support with that as well like I found that really difficult in sort of my early stages of when I thought I didn't even think I needed to have any help or support after an abusive relationship and it wasn't until I was somehow forced onto a recovery program but um, it was encouraged to go onto this program and until I went on it and recognised actually it has consumed me and I'm not able to move forward without some help and support it's almost like you're not really conscious to what you need so how would somebody recognise that they need that like to improve on their emotional resilience? I suppose it's it's identifying and understanding that you're in a time of stress or anxiety or depression where you're worried about things that you necessarily wouldn't worry about before you were in that time mm-hmm. of anxiety. Um, I went on a freedom course um, while I was still with my ex and wow. it was I was pushed up, I was encouraged onto it by a health visitor um, because stories from my past as well made her think that I needed to go on on one and it was only through going on that that actually made me realize the situation that I was in and then it took me 18 months to admit that actually the relationship I was in at that time was was abusive as well and I didn't want to admit that I was I didn't want to admit that I was anxious that I was depressed and most of the time I think we know deep down but it's admitting it to ourselves that we actually are in that period of need and and we do need to get help um it has to come from a realization deep within there's no point somebody necessarily telling you Mm. that is the situation because people were trying to tell me I was in an abusive relationship I was like no don't be stupid it's fine he's just overprotective and you know, he knows my past and he thinks I need protecting. I think until we are ready to own up to and accept it ourselves, then we're not ready to get the help. Yes. And um, and it's a lot to, to sort of take in. Um, I've actually asked people to provide questions and, and ask you and everybody's read your lovely bio, which I am going to put in the description because it was just so lovely to read um, and so personal, which I think is very important. And so we've, we've had a few questions and um, one, of, one of the questions is that they would love to know more about what you do in the workshops and they're, they're basically, their head teacher is trying to promote mental health at school and gain a wellness award. So I'm, I'm assuming she's wanting to know about the workshops to see if it's applicable for her school setting. I think it's applicable for every school setting. I'm hoping my um, children's school will, will take it on. Um, we, we go in, it, we have a four-week programme. So we go in one day a week for four weeks and we go through all of the classes from reception to year six. Um, as long as it's no more than a seven class school because obviously anything bigger there isn't the time and we do a half an hour session in each class and we teach the children lots of different techniques for mindfulness relaxation emotional awareness emotional understanding so give them all of these different tools and techniques that they can learn as children and that that they can take forward um, as into adulthood 
and a lot of the things as well we encourage them to take home and practice with their families so the whole family gets involved and they right. learn the techniques too that sounds brilliant um i know my school is in a similar position to be trying to get recognition um their emotional well-being team is made up of three people at the moment and for primary school i think that's really encouraging and so it's like how can how can that you know maneuver them and help them a bit more you know to recognize and i suppose as parents we kind of we worry in the fact that it's are they getting enough or does it has the slant go over the other side are we being too um you know recognizing emotions and everything can we go completely the other way so it's always this fine balance um so the same person i think it was has asked where do these workshops run <laughs> so the school's workshops we cover between all of the happiness club trainers that we have we cover most of the uk right um, and it's really just a case of finding your local happiness club trainer and getting them on the case, getting them into the school and, um, and getting the workshops running. The ones for adults are generally run within businesses who take, who will em employ us to, um, to go in and run a workshop. We haven't really investigated the, the idea of running them like setting up a workshop ourselves for the community that maybe adults could come to mm. maybe that's something that maybe that sounds that would sound interesting you know where you can voluntarily go along maybe in children's centers for parents or something like that might be an option because mm. i know when you when you're first time mom and look you've got five children so <laughs> hats off to you I've got three and I just remember whenever having another baby <laughs> you I just end up going on all these free courses and things and like baby massage and parenting and healthy eating and and all sorts of children's centers so that I wasn't just on my own at home <laughs> so I mean it's a bit different when, when you have a business you're not so much on your own anymore but I remember that you know being available so maybe that is something you know to look at um as workshops an idea um so i've got a personal question for you and um, that came through hashtag abuse talk and obviously you've mentioned um your experiences of domestic abuse and somebody wanted to know how you've learned to trust again after domestic abuse and and yourself and your judgments as well perhaps <laughs> But it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, I've spent two years on my own because I did not want to get to rush back into mm. that the potential of that situation again. I've had three relationships and they've gone from one to the next to the next and every single one of them was controlling in some way. Mm. And it wasn't until I was in my third relationship and I went on that freedom course that I actually realised that, that that was my situation, that was my reality. So when I took the decision to leave I spent nearly two years planning to leave trying to escape so I didn't have to go into a refuge because I did that as a child with my mom and I hated it I didn't want my children to go through it but then an event happened and we went into a refuge um, and I just decided that for me I needed to be happy in myself to mm. really get to know me to build my confidence and be secure in who I am 
before I'm ready to, to broach into the idea of dating again. I have been on a few dates in recent months, but nothing's really. I think I'm dipping my toe in the water very tentatively, but I am very wary. And I know that I need to learn to trust myself. And I think that is the thing. We're on high alert mm. after we've come out of those situations. There's that always that thing in the back of the head is, is that a little bit um, abusive? Is that a little bit controlling? Or am I just being too sensitive to that mm. idea? So you just have to, I think for me, I'm still taking my time. I'm giving myself time and making sure that I'm happy with what's happening. And I guess on, on another side, um, you've worked, you've had this clear self-development through your journey and process and the work you're doing with as a happy, happiness club trainer that I suppose you've gained that emotional strength or, I mean, I would say resilience, I'm trying to use a different word, but you sort of built yourself back up to the point of being able to, I'll try this. I'll try that, but I know I'm in control, so it's okay. That's what I'm feeling anyway. Is that, would you say that's the case? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's getting yourself to the place. It's knowing that you can take a little bit of a risk. You know, We all have this element of fear within us. And when we're children, fear is exciting. We'll jump off that bridge, that, that sofa or that high cupboard because it's exciting. And it's the same, you know, if you if you're a bit of an adrenaline junkie, I mean, as a, as a as a teenager, I used to love roller coasters and I jumped out of an aeroplane and all that, and I find it thrilling. But then there are things that, like when it comes to relationships or work or whatever, my fear is still really on high alert, and it's not a nice fear. It's not that exciting fear. It's, it's the kind of fear that holds you back, and it's learning to embrace it and know that you are going to be in full control of the decisions that you make and everything that happens to you. Yes, no, thank you for answering those. I know people will be watching and wanting to know the answers, so thank you for that. So I guess I want to, um, I suppose there, I like to ask people these types of questions because it's really important to find out what it's like in your kind of job role in your setting um but what is the most challenging part of what you do <laughs> um well, I'm still new to running the workshops you know at the moment it's very much a case of trying to get yourself out there it's the it's the whole marketing and sales side of it for me actually putting myself out there and and letting people know what I'm doing there's that little bit of imposter syndrome little bit of am I really worthy to be doing this you know it's all those kind of things but actually when you get into that workshop situation anything can happen it can be amazing it can be wonderful but you can also have some real sort of come up against some real it's not resilience but sort of like like brick walls people not wanting to learn not wanting to to understand why you're there or what you're trying to teach them yeah and well in return then what is the re most rewarding part of what you do being able to give people the skills to do it for themselves not to have to think that they're on their own and they've got to deal with the anxiety the stress the depression that 
they are, they can take responsibility for their thoughts, their feelings, their actions, and how they react to everything. They can take responsibility and, and find their own happiness. Now, um, I do have a question that follows that because I know in your bio, you've mentioned about, you know, past, you know, maybe mental health problems. And so somebody's asked what is the biggest lesson that your mental illness has taught you that nothing lasts forever i remember a time that the week leading up to going into a refuge it took a week to arrange private phone calls jumping on and off you know trying to arrange a day that he wouldn't be there to pack the house up and go and i remember i was so scared that I couldn't eat for an entire week and I dropped like a stone in weight in a week because I was I was in that full-on flight flight or fight fl mm. flight or fight mode and I knew that if he found out I was going to be in some serious trouble um which is silly I, he never laid a hand on me he never physically harmed me it was all emotional um but it was that fear and I remember and I, I look back on it now with hindsight because hindsight is a wonderful thing and realize that it was just thoughts and feelings and projecting what happened in remembering what has happened in the past and what could potentially happen in the future because you know we dramatize things everything could be so much worse than it actually is um i've learned that you have to live in the present if you have a moment where you're really worrying about something, it's because you have, you've, something's triggered. Mm. You've remembered something from the past and you're worrying about what could potentially happen in the future, which you've just completely made up in your head. So I've learned to live in the moment and I've learned what I need to do for myself to keep me healthy mm. of mind and of body. No, thank you for that. Um, so. I mean, we've, we've spoken about this. You're a mum of five children. So how do you fit everything in? You know, how do you balance it all out? It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have, you know, I have two and a half days a week where I can work at the moment. Those are the days that my youngest is with the childminder and all the other kids are at school. Um, and anything can happen. Anybody could end up off school or I have to book doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, optician's appointments. And it's, re it's a really difficult juggling act. Everything is very slow going. And I have to accept the fact that unless I want to stay up till one o'clock in the morning and then five o'clock in the morning, which I can't do, I know for my own mental health, I have to be in bed for 11 if I'm going to be up at half past five in the morning, which I do have to get all my kids um if I don't do that then I can't work because my brain just goes to mush and I end up depressed and naggy and unable to even function so I take things each day at a time knowing that it's a slow process nothing happens fast my business doesn't grow at an exponential rate because my my main priority at the moment is my children making sure that they're healthy and happy mm. because I never want them to be in a situation again where they weren't happy yeah and I, I mean 
kudos to you, 11 o'clock. I'm in bed at nine. (laughs) (laughs) I really should be in bed earlier, but because it takes me so long to get the kids to bed, my toddler is, um, she usually doesn't go to sleep till nine. So I settle her down, I come down, I do a couple of hours work and then I go to bed. Oh, have some time to yourself. (laughs) Sometimes I try. It's been a really busy week. I've been working right up until 11 this week. But what I normally try and do is dine tools by half past 10 and just sit in quiet for half an hour or read or sometimes put the television on. So it's it's trying to have that balancing act. I go to the gym normally in the morning when they're at school and at the childminder because that is part of my routine that keeps me on track it's the one thing that keeps the crazy away as I like to say <laughs> I actually saw a t-shirt the other day that said um I go to the gym because punching people is frowned upon <laughs> oh yeah that's me <laughs> um, yeah I've, I mean I've recently just taken up the going to the gym actually and um recently it's probably been a lot longer than that it's just that I've only recently put it into a routine and at the moment, both me and my husband are going four times a week. Believe it or not, I never thought I would say that. And we're only doing like half an hour for three of those and then an hour for one. But we felt that our mental health and our ability in the day, our productivity is so much better after we've been to the gym than if we'd go on the night. We can't go on the night. It doesn't work. We're all tired out and don't want to do it. So, yeah, I do think recognising what helps us as people and encourages and motivates us but you know if you've only got two and a half days then and you're recognizing that you need to go to the gym or, or and things like that that's so important and I think if anyone can take anything away from the interview today is just that pure dedication that you have to your own you know well-being and your work life so you know thank you for sharing all that so it kind of leads me on to the next one, and you may, you might have touched on this anyway, but how do you look after yourself and your own emotional well-being, especially if you're helping people all the time? How do you look after yourself in that? So part, part of my routine is um, that I go to the gym. That's non-negotiable. That's scheduled into my calendar. So if anybody wants... Um, interviews or me to jump on calls or anything I generally don't norm, don't generally do mornings unless it's something really important like today and I can juggle everything around it and um, so exercise for me is the most important thing it's the one thing that seems to get me motivated in the morning that gets my brain awake and just keeps keeps those endorphins high that mm helps me with my happiness um I also go because my gym has like a spa area so jacuzzi and steam room and that so I make sure I go in that at least one day a week after the gym about an hour um that's scheduled into my time as well sometimes I might drop it if I've got too much work on but I know that I probably resent it if I do drop it (laughs) (laughs) and then I have mindfulness exercises that um Joe's taught me that I do every day um that just help me feel thankful for the things that I have um and 
an exercise that reminds me of all the things that I am good at so I don't focus on the things that I'm not so good at. No, that um, sounds great. Sounds like you've got it together. Like we should all go and go on one of these <laughs> workshops and figure it out. And I think it's as well, you know, like focus. Like I'm really good when I'm focused. And then if I go for a week and go, oh, I haven't mapped out my week properly or anything like that, it just goes to pot. And then, <laughs> but it takes energy, doesn't it? Because you still have to invest your energy into having that routine and, you know, thinking about that, putting your meditation in there or whatever activities to help you sort of progress. So yeah, I can find it a challenge. Uh, you have inspired me today. Um, before we go, if people want to access um, your workshops or get in touch with you directly, how would they do that? Um, they can get in touch with me directly at my happiness club email address, which is emma.meller at thehappinessclub.co.uk. Um, the main website, thehappinessclub.co.uk, um, has lots of information. I don't think all of the happiness club trainers are on there yet. Joe's been working on getting the website up to date and all of our bios and our pictures and things up there. Um, and I'm on Facebook. I'm always on Facebook. Part of the work that I do is some content repurposing and um, Facebook management stuff as well in the background. Um, so I'm easy to find on there. Well, there are actually a lot of MMM. <laughs> but you'll see you'll see it's very easy to see which my which one mine is I swear a lot there's lots of sweary posts <laughs> my children who I call the vocal travel <laughs> well I will put all of the information in the description and I've pretty much just asked you to tell everyone when I can just put it in the description but <laughs> it's, it's I think it's important to to hear it from you as well and to 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 be able to find you because a lot of people might be commuting or whatever when they're listening so um i will pop the information in the description there so if people do want to find you they know how um so i just want to say a big thank you especially now that i know that you've taken time out of your routine to <laughs> be interviewed i feel like a big responsibility for that now and i'm hoping that you have a positive day and that it doesn't affect your well-being <laughs> no it'll be fine I did I went yeah I went to the gym yesterday and I took part in um a circuits class that I've not done before and I did like an hour and a half worth of exercise I'm feeling quite achy today I don't think I'd have managed much at the gym <laughs> yeah one of those I'll just walk on the treadmill with a bit of speed <laughs> yeah no well that's good doing classes um and everything but no I really do appreciate it and thank you for sharing your experiences as well it's not always easy to be open to share so I really appreciate it and I know that people watching and listening will appreciate it as well um, so for those of you that are watching as it's been broadcast which is the 2nd of October the next interview goes live on the 6th of November <laughs> can't believe I'm saying November right now <laughs> so close to Christmas and also if you are on Twitter we have our hashtag abuse talk Twitter chat happening very shortly so do pop over to there 
Emma has joined in um, for the first time the other week on Hashtag Abuse Talk, so I'm sure we might see her around a bit more, and we, I can always tag her in any of the posts if anybody did want to get in touch via Twitter. And once again, I just want to say a huge thank you, Emma, for agreeing to be interviewed. And it's just been so inspirational and even motivating for me to you know, hear about your story and how you do this with five children um, and be able to put yourself out there. So thank you once again, Emma. Thank you. After the last episode, which was episode number three with Kelly Smith and talking about toxic relationships, we were left some voice memos on the Anchor podcast where you can leave messages at any time in response to what you've heard. And we have Lisa from the US talking about how she felt about the interview with Kelly, her own experiences and sort of discussing what she really feels so I wanted to share all of those with you right now I'm um thankful for finding your podcast and uh, a few others that um are very helpful of course I have so many things I want to say and so many questions that I need, I need to ask and have answered. Um, there are particular um, areas that are very under addressed, and um, I really, in particular, military spousal abuse is one. Um, the differences in American versus maybe the the legalities legal system and all that of between america and other countries and areas so today wow okay here we go um the other issue i was thinking that would be really great if we could discuss that and have um maybe in the future have other people uh weigh in on this the differences between the law enforcement and judicial system and how things uh, play out when law enforcement has to come to a domestic a domestic dispute incident for people who are uh, married to somebody who is a veteran and particularly a uh, disabled veteran with mental health and or addiction problems versus someone who is non-military and how that is very differently handled often by law enforcement for various reasons and um, the difference between America and the UK and other areas. They really need to extend the time you get for these messages to at least, I would think at least two minutes at a time. Okay, so um, excuse me for being rude and not even saying hello and thank you for um, making your podcast episodes and caring and sharing of your stories and my name is Lisa and I am in America currently uh I wow 
I really have been through it, <laughs> to say the least. Thank goodness I still seem to have my sense of humor. I don't know how, but I guess it's a good thing because that and my precious little chihuahua over here are why I think I'm still alive and breathing and somewhat sane still. <laughs> anyway, hope to hear from you soon. Okay, I am, I can, I could not, not do what I'm about to do here. Regarding the um, whiny bitch thing, there was something that trended on um, social media very recently. I think it originated via Twitter and um, somebody had stated about the name Karen and how that somehow has like a crossed... <laughs> across the board been given very negative connotations to it um relating to yes something along the lines of being a a whiny bitch type of female who would like complain to managers you know if like maybe her food was awful or something like that and um i think that that is the epitome of what is allowed to this day to be the um, culture of anti-female strength and and it's regarding the whole um, issue of our female outspokenness and intelligence as well if we express that we have a strong opinion if we stand up for ourselves in a very, especially in a very public area, in a very public way, then we are given, of course, negative names and, um, you know, regarded as very negative and yeah, bitches, but one. And when it's men doing that, of course, then that is, oh, they're, they're strong, they're heroic, they're brave, they're courageous. Um, they're, you know, business savvy if it's in the business world. Um, yeah that double standard is being perpetuated by women as much as men and it's got to stop. So I really understand what Kelly was addressing there um, about people's complaints and um, certain things that negative things that she's had relate to her via social media, etc. And I, I find it disheartening and maddening and really there's been so many instances that I have found that what has perpetuated and prolonged my agony and my particular abuse situation and being trapped has a lot to do with um, it's not just males that are helping to uh, trap we females and to curb our being able to um, get help it's other females and in positions in agencies etc and that's not good there's one more very important issue that I really have to say something about I'm noticing that almost every podcast and book and article or blog um, that deals with this issue of after leaving 
abuse or dealing with abusive relationships of the romantic nature, if you want to call it romance, but anyway, yeah, the, the, the after, um, involving how we are supposed to be about the future of getting back into a new relationship or seeking out a new relationship and dating. I think that's a mistake. I'll tell I need to qualify that last statement about the, uh, I will call it a trend, it seems, um, the popular trend to push or to focus and to um, tell or teach people about um, how post-escaping um, situations and relationships of abuse uh, to get back into dating and to, you know, back into seeking a serious relationship with a significant other. I really truly believe that it's not in people's best interest. Quite honestly, um, it was just that, that got me into a much worse abuse situation that I would have been able to avoid if I would have just taken time out at least six months to a year from dating. I think I would never have gotten with the person I got with. <laughs> that was way worse that I am. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing those voice memos with us all and certainly bringing some important subjects, um, ones that I haven't actually yet discovered or spoken to others about, so it's something that I'm going to look into personally. Also, I just thought about what you were saying about um, encouraging healthy relationships or relationships in general after abuse, and I wanted to mention that if anybody is tuning in and listening this far ahead, that... In all of October, every Friday evening at 7.30pm, I'm going live on my own page, which you can find at Jen L. Gilmore, and I will be talking about life after abuse, and I'll be covering um, isolation, support, recovery, and healthy relationships, not necessarily encouraging people to dive back in, but actually healthy relationships in general, so that could be with friends and family, and how you look out for those kind of relationships, because once you educate yourself on domestic abuse and what that looks like, you suddenly see just sort of different aspects in different people where actually that isn't helpful to say something like that to me and how we, we can tackle that and sort of help our own relationships really to be able to be expressive and not to I don't know not too invasive at the same time so I'm really looking forward to bringing those Facebook lives so do check them out every Friday evening 7 30 p.m on my Facebook page also want to mention that the next episode of the Abuse Talk podcast is on the 16th of October, which is the podcast itself. So do follow and subscribe on whatever channel you're listening to so you'll be notified of that next episode. It is with Lisa Pickering and she's a solicitor and we talk about legal aid and the family court system. So that will be one to listen to. Mm -hmm.